0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. I just want to share with you a little bit out of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 to 24. So if you can just um, bring up that uh, scripture, I just want to read it to us. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 to 24. It says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through or sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray, Lord, that you'll minister your word to our hearts and that you'll instruct us from your word and correct us from your word and encourage us from your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here and that you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, as, as... human beings, that one verse, verse 23, talks about your whole spirit, soul, and body. As human beings, that God created us, spirit, soul, and body. In, in the beginning, when He created us, you know, He created us as not just one or two-dimensional beings but three-dimensional beings. So we have the dimension of the physical body, we have the dimension of the psychological soul, and we have the dimension of the spiritual, our, our spirit. And um, when, when we function fully, we function on all of those levels. In, in, let me just read you a scripture in, in Genesis 2 uh, where, where it actually records, records the creation of Adam, the first man. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, in other words, body, physical, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Um, the, the, both in Greek, the Greek of the New Testament and the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the word for breath and the word for spirit are the same. In Hebrew it's ruach. So ruach means both spirit and breath. So when, when he breathed the breath of life, he was, he was actually breathing the spirit of man into him. God God was uh, breathing his breath and and therefore his spirit into man. So so you you see the physical and being filled with the spiritual. And then it says, and man became a living being. Literally, it means, and you'll see some older translations will translate it that way. It says, man became a living soul. Uh, The word nephesh uh, in the Hebrew. The soul. Man became a a living soul. So, So there you have spirit, soul, and body. And what Paul is saying is just in line... With that, now some people would say, "No, but your spirit and your soul are the same thing. You know, they they're synonymous." Um, and and there are some verses that seem to say that, but but actually they're not. Uh, they're interchangeable and they imply one another. So so you you cannot get a spirit without a soul, and you cannot get a soul without a spirit. Therefore, sometimes the Bible will mention soul, and assume that it implies spirit or spirit and, and assume that it implies soul so you, you have cases where you know the same verse or the same saying of jesus um will in one gospel have soul and in another gospel spirit and that's the reason why some people would say no but they're actually the same thing but, but they just used interchangeably there they're not synonymous um I don't want to go into too much detail in that, but, but understanding that we are spirit, soul, and body. Your, your body is the easy part. That's the physical part, the tangible, material part. Your soul um, is also, in some ways, um, easy for us to understand because we use it every day. We, we think with it. We feel emotions with it. We dis- make decisions with it. That's all part of your soul. The spirit is the one that we struggle with a bit more because it's, it's, it's like the soul, it's intangible um, but also because of our fallenness, we, we, we're not as aware of it. So if you think about it, um, your body, your bodily functions, you know, through your five senses and so on, you, you're in contact with the will and you're aware, you're consciously aware of what's happening in and through your body. And the same with your soul. Through, through your, your, your thoughts and your emotions and your decisions and stuff, you're consciously aware of, of a lot that's going on in your soul. But we are not consciously aware of what's going on in our spirits. Well, for the most part. But, but think of it in this way. That's not an argument against the existence of spirit. Because are you consciously aware of everything that's happening in your body? No. You're not always consciously aware that your heart is beating. Except when you're like, you know, running fast and, and you're out of breath and, and your, your heart's like really pumping. and Then you become consciously aware of it. But when you're not consciously aware of your heart beating, does your heart stop beating? Does your heart therefore no longer exist? So it shows you just, there are things inside of you that are real, but you're not always consciously aware of them in your body. Same with your soul. There, there, are, there are things happening in your thoughts, you know, and, and your your. The control of your, 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 um, your subconscious uh, is controlling some of your bodily functions, and you're not even aware of those things going on in your soul. Sometimes you, you sleep and you dream, and you're not aware of those dreams, but does it make them less real? They're still real. And it's, it's the same with your spirit. Um, most of what happens in our spirit as human beings, as fallen human beings especially, is not, we're not consciously aware of it. But just like your heart beating even when you're not consciously aware of it or you know, your sub- subconscious mind dreaming while you're sleeping and you're not consciously aware of it, your spirit is very real. What's happening in your spirit is very real even when you're not consciously aware of it. Okay. Um, and the sad reality is that many people live in a three-dimensional world but as two-dimensional cartoon characters because they just, you know, it's just body and soul the third dimension of spirit is completely missing. Uh, and, and, and they live a flat and two-dimensional um, life with, with, which lacks the depth that God created us to experience as, as human beings. Now, in that context, um, Paul comes and he says, as beings that are body, that are soul, that are spirit, he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit, do not despise prophecy. Um, so, we've got to ask ourselves, what, what is prophecy? I just want to take you to a scripture in let me see, yes, First uh, Corinthians 14, from verse 29 to 32. First Corinthians 14, 29. Uh, I'm just giving this as an example because this gives, in my opinion, one of the best definitions of what prophecy is, um, and and I think. Defining prophecy is necessary, especially in our context. Um, I was raised in a Dutch Reformed church, and the um, Nieuwe Afrikaanse Vertaling, the the, the New Afrikaans uh, translation, the 83 translation, was a, um, a basically a Dutch Reformed translation, and it, it translated prophecy of prophecy as om die woord te priek to preach the word. That's what it was translated as out of, out of the, 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 obviously, the theological paradigm of the Dutch Reformed Church. But, but I don't think that is accurate or agrees with what Scripture says, as we're going to see now. Um, because prophecy is not just a prepared message that you preach from the Word. That, that's not what prophecy is. That, that can, a prepared message that you preach from Scripture, can be prophecy. But prophecy is most certainly not limited to that. And in fact, the prophecy that Paul's talking about, we'll, we'll see in First Corinthians 14, is very different. From verse 29, it says, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So, just notice here, and we're going to see it in, in the other scripture in Thessalonians as well. Prophecy, one aspect of prophecy is the spoken aspect. The prophesying spoken. So, prophecy so is Prophecy is spoken. Prophets speak prophecy. Okay? But the other aspect of prophecy is weighing prophecy. Testing it. And those two, the spoken prophecy and the testing of the the spoken prophecy, are two sides of the same coin. They're both part of the prophetic gift. Okay? But prophecy is spoken. And it says, so, so two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh or test carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed. Yeah, it's talking about the results of prophecy. There's, part of it is instructional and encouraged. Um, that's maybe not ex- a, a complete or exhaustive list of the ex- results of prophecy, but, but certainly prophesying. Includes that. And then he says the spirits of, the, of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. In other words, if you want to operate in the prophetic, you must humbly submit the prophecy that you prophesy to others to be tested. Okay. So, the spirit of prophets by which they prophesy, they speak prophecy, is subject to prophets who test also prophetically what is spoken. Okay. But here's the important thing that I want you to see. He says, if you, you know, two or three should prophesy, not all at once, so that it can actually, people can hear what's going on, what's being prophesied, and it can benefit the church or the small group or it, whatever the context is you're prophesying in. And then he says, if someone sitting down receives a revelation, then the one speaking should sit down and Give it one who's, who got the revelation, who was sitting down and got the revelation, a chance to stand up and speak and prophesy. Why I'm saying that is that clearly shows us that prophecy is not some other prepared Bible study. <laughs> it's spontaneous, invasive revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not prepared. So the one sitting there didn't prepare a message. It's just while the other person was prophesying, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit spoke to them, gave them a revelation. And they're like, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit showed me this, and they can stand up and they can speak it. So um, Maxton, a, a New Testament scholar, calls it um, spontaneous, invasive revelation that is spoken out. That, that is what prophecy is according to Paul. I mean, lots of other churches in the world today might have different definitions that they give off prophecy, but that's part of what Paul, how Paul describes prophecy. Okay, so that, that's what prophecy is. And prophecy is, other, in other words, God's spirit giving revelations to people, which they then speak out. Or at least that's biblical prophecy. Um, it's a spoken, it's, it's a revelation that comes from a, a spiritual source that is then spoken out and that should then be tested. Okay, so, so if we say, okay, that's what um, prophecy is, then um, let's let's go back to our scripture in First Thessalonians and just see again what it has to say about prophecy. It says, "Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But in contrast to treating prophecies with contempt, test them all." Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So, um, what I want you to see here is that he first gives a general statement. Do not quench the spirit. And then he gives a specific example. One example of quenching the spirit is treating prophecy with contempt or despising prophecy. Okay? And then he gives two ways, in fact, that you can despise prophecy but but what i want you to see and that's why i linked it back to genesis 2 prophecy is god speaking through people okay when god created everything including us as human beings including our spirit soul and body he spoke it into being we were created by the word of god okay and our Spirit, soul, and body which were created by the Word of God need the Word of God. Both um, the written word, the Bible, which started as prophecy, which was then recorded, and there's a qualitative difference between the Bible as the written word and um, prophecies that we can give now. A, uh, the Bible makes a definite difference between that um, because the, what's written in the Bible is infallible. But the very reason why prophecies need to be tested is because they're not infallible. Okay, and that's a very important uh, to recognize. But what I want you to see, th- just bring up that picture. He um, says, do not quench the spirit. And, and the word quench it can, can be used in, in a literal way, where it usually means to quench a fire by throwing water or something else on it. To, to put out the fire. So do not, uh, th- that's the literal meaning, but but Figuratively, then means to, to quench or to stifle or to suppress. So, um, let me just see what the, 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 the um, definition that, um, that is given in the, in the dictionary. Mm. Hang on, I wrote it down and now I can't find it. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. To quench, to stifle, or to suppress. For example, it's used to suppress or silence a mood or emotions. Now, um, we can do that to the Spirit. We can, there are two things that you can do with fire. If, if Paul is saying, in a figurative sense, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. There are only two things that you can do with fire. Number one, you can quench it, put it out, or number two, you can spread it. (laughs) So what he's saying is spread the fire of the spirit, don't suppress it, don't stifle it, don't put it out. Okay? And we have to make the choice which one of those two we're going to do. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, Paul he, he gives a negative command: do not quench the spirit but in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 he put it, puts it in a positive uh, just in positive words he says for, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands so he's saying not only should you not quench the fire of the spirit you should fan it into flame <laughs> you should encourage it you should take you know you should, you should blow on it you should do whatever you can to make the fire bigger okay now Paul goes on, and he he, he basically... uh, He says, do not quench the Spirit. Why? And and then he says, one of the ways to quench the Spirit is to despise prophecy." In other words, to suppress the operation of the gifts or the manifestations of the Spirit. Why would he have to say that in the church in Thessalonica? And, And just for the record... You know, most scholars believe it's between the letter of Galatians and the letter of 1 Thessalonians, which one was the first of Paul's letters to be written. I I think it was Galatians, so it means probably Thessalonians was the second one. But it was probably written in the late 40s or early 50s after Christ. In other words, within 20 years of Christ's death and resurrection. Why did Paul, to that church, which was at that stage still a relatively young church, have to say... Do not quench the Spirit's fire. Why did I have to say it? Because obviously in the church there were people who were doing it. In that young church, right at the very beginning of Christianity, very early on in the church age, there were already people who were saying, no, this prophecy thing is dangerous. Now, why would you do that? Why would you want to quench the Spirit? Why would they want to do it? And by implication, why would we want to do it? Well, I can think of a few reasons. Number one, you'd want to quench the Spirit, and this is now more in our context than than in, in Paul's, because you believe that it's no longer for today, that prophecy is no longer for today, or that the gifts of the Spirit are no longer for today. And there are many churches that believe that. But the Bible, does the Bible say that the gifts will end? You guys are shaking your heads. You're wrong. The Bible does say that the gifts will end. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, prophecy, where there's prophecy, it'll end. (laughs) Where there are, you know, all all those gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says they will end. And we as charismatics like, no, 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 no. Your gifts are not going to end. No, they are going to end. But the Bible also tells us very clearly when they're going to end. When are they going to end? when that which is perfect comes, when perfection comes, when Jesus comes again and makes all things new, makes all things perfect, then we're not going to need prophecy anymore because God's going to speak to us directly as an example. It says, when we see Him face to face, do we see God face to face yet? When we know as we are fully known, when we fully know God as we are fully known by Him, do we fully know God as we are fully known by Him? Well, then the gifts have not ceased yet. But when that happens... When everything has been made perfect, when we have been made perfect, then the gifts will cease. Okay? So, that theology that says that um, the gifts are not for today, it's just wrong. I I wish I had more time to actually, you know, work through this and actually show it to you in Scripture. But I think Scripture is very clear on that. Um, If you have questions about it, come to me afterwards. If you want to see it, if you don't want to trust me and you want to see it in Scripture... You're right. Trust Scripture. Don't trust me. If I can't show you something from Scripture, then you shouldn't believe it. Because then it's just my opinion. Um, But that's one reason why people will will quench the Spirit. Another reason, and we see this, after the fall, God created Adam and Eve. And before the fall, he used to walk with them in the cool of the, the day in the garden and speak to them face to face. And they used to hear him. And the fall didn't cause people to stop hearing God. They didn't, the fall didn't cause people to stop hearing God's voice. But the fall did cause people to stop obeying God's voice. The fall did cause people to start... It, it didn't cause people to, to not hear his word, but it did cause people to start despising and disobeying his word. I mean, God even in the Bible times and today speaks to people who are not saved. Right? I mean, there are many examples like that in the Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, all kinds of people who are not Christians or not even Jews in the Old Testament. And God speaks to them through dreams and visions and all kinds of things. And they hear God's voice. But the, the, the problem with the fall is the fall caused us to start despising God's voice. To not like what God is saying to us. To not want to accept what God is saying to us. That is the problem we have. And that's why Paul says do not despise prophecy. Do not despise when God speaks through someone else to you. Um, So a second reason is we might suppress the gifts because we, we despise God speaking or God acting. A third reason is because we have experienced the abuse of the gifts. Paul says... Test the gifts. Reject what is evil, hold on to what is good. That implies that when you test the gifts and prophecy in particular, you're going to find that some prophecy is evil. Those are Paul's words, not mine. (laughs) And you're going to find that some prophecy is good. I mentioned last time, two weeks ago, when I preached about seeing the supernatural, I, I mentioned that there are two sources of the supernatural, the divine and the demonic. In other words, what Paul is saying here the gifts of the spirit and in general and prophecy in particular can have a divine source in which case it's going to be good or a demonic source in which case it's going to be evil let me just make this clear while i'm while i'm sharing this oftentimes when prophecy when churches or church leaders teach people to prophesy they say you know just You know, when you're prophesying to someone, just whatever thought comes into your mind, just speak it to the person and that's prophecy. Now, contrary to popular belief, every thought that comes into your mind, even every thought that comes into a Christian's mind, isn't necessarily from God. Your thoughts can come from yourself, your flesh, your fallen nature. Then they're not going to be good. (laughs) They're going to be the other one. They can even, the devil can plant thoughts in your mind. I mean, in the Gospels, we see him doing it with Judas Iscariot, and then we say, ah, but that's Judas. But he does the same thing with Peter. Jesus has to say, say to him, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> it's not you. It's, what you're saying now is not from God. Now, this is the same Peter to whom Jesus had just said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So he just experienced the divine source of revelation and spoke it and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, high five. You, you heard from God. And then just the next minute when Jesus said, okay, now that you understand that I'm the Christ, I'm going to tell you what kind of a Christ I am. I'm going to be a suffering Christ. I'm going to die on the cross. Jesus said, Jesus, how can you say that? Let it never be so. And Jesus had to say to him, you just heard from the Father, but but right now it's Satan speaking to you. Get behind me, Satan. Right? So, not every thought that comes into your mind is from the divine source. Some of it can be from the demonic source or from your flesh. Okay? That's why it must be tested. That's why it has to be tested. So but the problem is sometimes people don't test it, and people, you know, many of you have probably experienced people bring you a prophetic word, and then it's a false prophecy. And then it hurts, it harms, it causes damage and confusion. And often, the sad reality, if we look at Scripture, is that often false prophets are people who have a genuine prophetic gift, but they use it like Balaam, who got paid by Balak to prophesy against Israel. They use it for with the wrong motives, and they prophesy to the to the idols of your heart, and that's false prophecy. Um, and, and that causes damage. So some of you might have experienced that and like, oh, you know, this prophecy thing. <laughs> I'm, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a bit careful about this prophecy thing because I've re- received you know, false prophetic words, and it, it's, it's, it just caused so much confusion, so much damage in my relationship with God and, and people around me. So I'm, I'm rather going to play it safe and, and you know, not, not listen to prophecy at all. You're despising prophecy. Yes, the problem might be real, but your cure is as bad as the disease. Paul said that there were things wrong in the way that people used prophecy. People were abusing the gifts of prophecy, but his cure for abuse of the gift was not disuse of the gift, but proper use of the gift. Okay? So, many churches, if if you... if, if it comes down to it, if you ask many churches who don't allow the manifestation of the Spirit, who actually, let's just call it in, in the words of this verse, what it is, who continually quench the Holy Spirit. The reason for doing that is, oh, but the gifts are being abused. But they were being abused in Paul's day as, as well. But his solution to that abuse was not disuse, but proper use. By testing. Okay? But, but some of you, you have a very strong negative emotional response to prophecy because you've experienced the abuse of it. Um, But you need to deal with that. You need to realize that your solution by despising prophecy because you you know you've experienced the abuse of it is not the right solution. Um, Another reason is because like fire, the spirit cannot be controlled. (laughs) So instead you quench it. Oh, this fire is dangerous. It's going to spread. I can't control it. It's (laughs) quinship. I I had a very sad um, account. One of the earliest Reformed um, statements of faith um, that came out. um, I think it was called the Augsburg Statement of Faith because that's where it came out. Um, when, When they were talking about this Reformed Statement of Faith they were, to some extent, experiencing the manifestations of the Spirit in their churches. You know, these are like Lutheran churches and stuff like that. But the leaders in that area who put together the Statement of Faith, they said, this is too dangerous. We we cannot allow this in the churches. It's it's too dangerous. We cannot control it. Therefore, we're not going to allow it. And... You know, they, they often get teased that their trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scripture instead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to some extent, unfortunately, that is true. Unfortunately, um, that is true. So whole movements who've, who've said, listen, we cannot control We're not supposed to control it. You're not supposed to control the fire of the Spirit. Don't quench it, but test it. And when you test it, it's the Holy Spirit through you Part of the prophetic gift is to test the prophetic gift. Um, And then we can quench the Spirit by failing to desire spiritual gifts. So to treat with contempt means to despise or to disdain. It's an attitude of disdain that leads to actions of rejection, rejecting what the Holy Spirit does. So the first way... To quench the Spirit is to despise the gifts and, and suppress them and not allow them. But the scripture mentions a second way to quench the Spirit. And that is by failing to test the gifts. That is quenching the Holy Spirit as much as disallowing the operation of the gifts. So quenching the Spirit... By not allowing the gifts or the manifestation of the Spirit, that's the non-charismatic way of quenching the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit by not testing the gifts, let's own it, that is the charismatic way of quenching the Spirit often. Let's own it. Come on. <laughs> let's take our hiding. <laughs> We've got to, and, and, and the problem is when you don't test it and there's the constant abuse of the gifts, it leads to the, disuse of the gifts and the rejection of the gifts and despising of the gifts. So, so we must steward the gifts that God gives to us um, well. Um, let me put it to you bluntly, <laughs> okay, in terms of prophecy. If you accept all prophecies, you're missing it. If you accept no prophecies, you're missing it. You mustn't despise prophecy, so you must allow prophecy, but then you must test prophetic words. And then, after you've tested it, you must discern what is good and what is evil. What is divine, what is demonic, what is from the flesh. And you must reject all evil and hold on to, cling to, and steward what is good. Um, So, he, he says there, but... In, in, in you know, 1 Thessalonians um, 5, he says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt or do not despise prophecies, but in contrast, test them all. Notice, test them all. Don't just test some prophecies, test all prophecies. Prophecies that you give, prophecies that you receive. So in other words, when I give a prophetic word, I should say to the person, listen here, this is what I feel the Lord is saying, but I want you to test it. I want you to measure it. And I want you to check it, whether I'm actually hearing from the Lord, because I, I have to do it out of the humility or with the humility of knowing that maybe I'm not hearing from the Lord. Okay? So, test all prophecies. And then it says, that the word test there um, means to make a critical examination of something, to determine its genuineness, to put that something to the test or to examine something and and it's in the plural. It's you all together test the prophecy. In other words, it's in community. And and we saw that in the previous scripture as well. You know, one one prophet should prophesy, and the other should test, examine, uh, weigh what is what is being said. But think of it. That's also the only way that you learn. We sometimes say wrongly that we learn from experience, but we know it's not true. We don't learn from all of our experiences. You only learn from the experiences that you examine. We learn from examined experiences. So when I feel I've got a revelation from the Lord, I speak it and I say to others, please test it. And they say to me, yes, that's of the Lord. Then I've learned. Okay, that's how it is. That's what it feels like to hear from the Lord. When they say to me, no, that's not accurate, that's not true, then I, oh, that's how it feels to not hear from the Lord. <laughs> so I'm learning. So the only way you can actually learn to prophesize, if in community, together, out of that place of humility, we don't only encourage prophecy, but we constantly encourage the, we always encourage the testing of prophecy. We have both sides of the coin. The speaking of the prophecy and the testing of the prophecy. That's the only way we can actually examine our experience of prophecy and learn from it. So like I said, contrary to popular belief, not every thought that comes into your mind is from God. So you have to test it to discern whether it's good or evil, whether it's divine or demonic, um, and then treat it as such. Now, just want to give you one test. Now, there are a lot of things that the Bible says about testing, but let me just mention one. It's found in 1 Corinthians 14, let me see if I can find it, verse 37 and 38. Uh, The same chapter where Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit and, and how to steward them in the church. He says, if anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge. So he's talking here about prophecy specifically, but every other gifting of the Spirit. This is a test that you have to apply to all of them. He says, let them acknowledge that what I am writing, what is written in the Bible, what I am writing, yeah, in the Bible. Let them acknowledge that what I am writing is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, what is written, the Bible, they will themselves be ignored. So, so here's the principle. The principle is that we can receive revelations from the Holy Spirit or experience other manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But they are fallible, and we must approach those manifestations of the Spirit with the humility that we can get it wrong, we can miss it. But we must acknowledge that what is written is the command of God, it's infallible. So you measure what is fallible against what is infallible. And if you ignore what is infallible, if you ignore ignore what is written, then you should also be ignored. And, And the sad reality is there are so many people in the world today going around calling themselves prophets who blatantly ignore what is written. And yet they have big followings. You see, the Holy Spirit who infallibly inspired Scripture made sure that it was infallibly recorded. When he speaks through me or through you, he's not going to contradict what he said in Scripture. He's not going to contradict himself. Okay, And that's an easy way to see whether someone is a true, is a true gift, is when they take what is written seriously, when they take Scripture seriously. If they don't take Scripture seriously, run, ignore them. And and I know that there are many of you who have um, suffered under such prophets or leaders who are very gifted, but it turns out that their gifting is from the demonic side. When you test it, it turns out to be evil, not good. Paul says, run, ignore them, don't receive from them, don't listen to them. But... Don't allow them and their abuse of the gift to cause you to despise prophecy in general or the gifts of the Spirit in general or to quench the Spirit. Okay. So, that's a, probably the main test. And, and, and it, let me just say it again. This is a, this is a biggie. You know, if you look at the biggest churches in Southern Africa, they are led Often by false prophets who have false manifestations of the Spirit and who care nothing about the Word of God. Prophets of doom who spare people with doom to get a meal or make them eat grass or, you know, all kinds of funny stuff. Things, and, and, and often things that are very contrary to Scripture, who even set up supposed. Miracles. I mean, there, there, was a, there are clear examples on the internet of, you know, a guy who is dead lying in a coffin, but you can see him breathing. And then the prophet rises him from the dead, and then everyone goes like, yay! You know, resurrection! No! <laughs> deception. Okay? But we shouldn't allow how common the deception is to cause us to reject the genuine thing. The cure for abuse. Yes, there's a lot of abuse. But the cure for that abuse is not disuse, but proper use. And we must be part of the solution by making sure that the manifestations of the Spirit uh, are are used properly in our midst. So we can put on display that there is a genuine. It's not just a counterfeit. There is the genuine. And you can safely experience it within a community that humbly and lovingly tests the manifestations so, so that we are left with only the genuine and the good. Okay, let me just close with this because I'm taking a bit too long. I have to skip a few things. Um, let, me, let me end off with this. In verse 24, Paul says, First um, Thessalonians 5, verse 24. If you can just bring it up again there on the screen. Sorry, verse 23, he talks about, you know, be kept blameless, the whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 24, the one co- who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who calls you. Notice it says, it doesn't say the one who called, past tense. It says the one who calls, present tense. And, and, and what it is, um, and excuse my, my Greek geek coming out here. Um, it's, it's a present participle. What he literally says, pistos, which means faithful, faith or faithful, or colon, must. Literally he's saying, if I had to translate it very literally, he says, faithful is the one continuously calling you or y'all. Faithful is the one continuously calling y'all. In other words, our salvation and how God sanctifies us completely, not partially, but completely, in other words, our whole spirit, soul, and body being preserved blameless. We're not perfectly blameless now, but in Christ we are blameless. And, and be blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is by God continuously calling us closer to Himself. Can you see the the same theme? Is he's, he's not completely shifted themes from prophecy, God speaking, to now God calling. He's not he's still talking about God speaking. Okay? Our very salvation is dependent on the fact that God continues. He's the one who continuously calls us. And He's faithful. He's going to keep calling us until we come. Until we get to Him. Until our salvation is completed. Until we, our, our, our sanctification is completed. And He is faithful. He will do it. It says God Himself, the God of peace, will sanctify you completely. He is faithful. He will do it. So it makes it clear that God is the one who completes our salvation. God is also the one who starts it. It says, He who started a good work in you will bring it on to completion. We can be confident of that. But the way in which He completes it is by continuously calling us. And therefore, when we despise His voice and therefore despise prophecy, we are despising part of the very means by which He continuously calls us to Himself. Because you cannot despise God's voice in one manifestation and think that you can appreciate it in a different manifestation. If you despise prophecy, you're also going to despise the word of God in Scripture, which is written in the Bible. You're also going to despise it when... So so when it says the one calling you, he's not referring to past tense, the general gospel call of God. He's he's, He's referring to the specific, individually specific, continuous call of God, where he's constantly calling us closer to himself. And why is why mentioning prophecy in that constant text, I believe, is because prophecy is part of that. and which here's another good test of prophecy. Does what is spoken call me closer to God? Does it invite me closer to God? Does it invite me to draw near to God? Does it invite me to repent of things that keep me away from God? Is it part of the faithful one who is continuously calling me to himself then it is good and right thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg may the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good for more information and sermons please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg